Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have just a few moments now to open up the Scriptures and, and learn a new truth this morning. And so we pray that our hearts would be present this morning, um, that our mind may not be a hundred miles away, but that we would be here fully present to your Spirit, and that as we leave this place, we would be a new person. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Are we, there we go. Matthew five twenty-one. So this is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. You shall not murder. Now Jesus was making a statement here. He says, it used to be that we said, do not murder, do not kill. That's bad. Don't do it because if you do it, you will be liable to judgment. That is the message that Jesus has for them. If you kill, you will be judged. And yet Jesus has a funny way of working things out. And he says, but I say to you. Now, Jesus is going to make a profound statement right now. He says, it used to be that we told you not to kill or murder, but I say to you. Do you remember last week when we talked about Jesus and we said people were very unhappy, the religious people were very unhappy with Jesus because the way he was living out the law was different than what the church expected of him? Do you remember that? which meant that people didn't really believe that Jesus was a very good Jew. They didn't think he was a very religious man. And so once again, in the very next, if you're following and if you've picked up, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount for the first few months here. If you notice what we said last week, Jesus changes things somehow, or he makes them better. He fulfills what has been true. He again is going to prove that what used to be is good, but there is also so much more. And here's a teachable, teachable moment. When Jesus speaks, I would encourage you to listen and pay attention closely to what Jesus is saying. And so this is what he says. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council, which is the people who kind of kept tabs on everybody, And whoever says, you fool, or raka, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, I have a a quick illustration. When we read this at first glance, we think to ourselves, I have murdered somebody because I am guilty of some of these things. Is that true? Is that true? I, I was walking in on the Sabbath school class this morning, on the adult Sabbath school, and the first thing I heard Bob say is, every single man in this church has committed adultery. The text that goes on to say, if you look at a woman lustfully. So I I excused myself from that discussion, and I walked away. (laughs) But here's the deal. When it comes to Scripture, there is this sense that whenever we read it, we read the words, and we look at it, and we say, I know exactly what that means. But have you ever noticed that you can come back, keep coming back to the same Bible verse, and every time you get something different out of the text— Do you know why that is? It's because the Bible, it's a living, breathing word. 
is that as long as you are open to any truth that God is showing you, when you come to the scriptures, you will find a new breath of fresh air. In other words, God will keep speaking to you if your heart is open. Which means that at a first reading, we see what this says. Don't insult. Don't be angry. Don't call somebody draka, which means empty-headed or you fool. But when we come to the scriptures, and I want to give you this illustration so that you will take this with you and you'll remember every time you eat an onion. And I have a picture for you. The scripture is like an onion. And I will do this as carefully as I can. This was the only knife that I could find in the in the kitchen, and I'm afraid to use it, but uh, workers' comp, okay? <laughs> Someone had told me that Dr. Holness was a hand doctor, to which I found out he wasn't, so <laughs> at my own risk. For the ancient Hebrews, the scripture, in some sense, was like an onion, Because you could peel away the layers, and at every layer there would be something new to learn about the text. The scripture is filled with layers. And on the onset, you will understand the first layer. But if you take the time to dig deeper, you will find that there is more and more truth to be learned as we dig deeper and deeper in life. It's like a couple who gets to know each other. You fall in love sometimes with the outer, right? You think somebody is attractive. But it goes deeper than that. Isn't that true? Because as we age, we get not as attractive. Men, actually, we are more distinguished as we get older. <laughs> but women are beautiful just as well. I'm making a case for myself. But there is more to the outer appearance than what we think. And for Jesus, he says, if you are angry with somebody, brother means anybody. It means anybody who is a believer. If you are angry with somebody, you will be liable for judgment. If you insult somebody, what is an insult? Usually it's when we do it behind somebody's back so that they don't hear. Whenever you talk about somebody behind their back and they are not there to witness what you are saying or to even defend themselves, Jesus is talking about that. Gossip, insult, rumors. Anytime we talk about somebody who isn't there, Jesus says you are liable, liable to the hell of fire. He's not saying the, that, that, that hell exists. He's just saying you will be liable to burn. It was Jesus' way of dramatically saying it's wrong and it is not what I want. So in order to show this illustration, I have one more illustration. Um, I need a volunteer, though, somebody who is, who is wanting to win or earn $100. I need a brave volunteer. You won't have to do something very hard. Go, come on, go on up. If he can't do this, I'm not going to give him the money. Yeah? Is that, is that good? Okay, it's right here. Count it. This is about what Jesus is talking about, but I have to show you what he, what he means. <laughs> I saw that, by the way. <laughs> what Jesus is talking about is a lot like a can of whipped cream. Whenever you say something bad about somebody, whenever you insult somebody, it's just like whipped cream that's coming out. 
And the more we say, the more it builds up, the more we have, and it just keeps going and going if we keep talking about somebody. This is, the, this is what you must do in order to win the $100. If you can put all of the whipped cream on the plate back into this... I'm a pastor. I can't be giving out $100. (laughs) Sorry, man. (laughs) You can't do it, can you? Every time we say something hurtful, any time there is gossip, any time we say something that is not true or demeaning to somebody, what happens It's like this. You can never get it back. If you're married, even if you're in any kind of relationship, mother, father, um, children, friends, whatever relationship you're in, which we all are in some, if you say something hurtful, can you ever take it back? You can try, but guess what? Once those words leave your mouth, there is nothing that you can do to take it back. Jesus says, it was once said to people long ago that you shall not Murder, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, anybody who says insults, anybody who says you fool, which is Jesus' way of saying, by you, it's literally the word empty headed. So Jesus is saying, when you say and treat somebody like that, you are demeaning them and dehumanizing, dehumanizing them. But what you're actually doing is you're taking away from my creation. The very people that I have made in my image, this God of love, of care, of compassion, of generosity, of kindness. When you treat somebody badly, you dehumanize them and you take away their gift of life. Sometimes the words that we say to people or about people is like murdering their character and reputation. That is worse sometimes than having your life taken away, your physical, blood-breathing life. Can I, is that true? Can I get an amen? And so Jesus goes on. He's not done. (laughs) If the Bible doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, you're not reading it very well. And who, okay, I got that. Matthew 5, 23. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there and go before and go. Leave your gift before the altar and go. So really quickly, this is what's happening. In the first century and, and leading up to the first century, the way that religious people interacted with God is that they would come to a special building that was set aside just for this religious ritual. And there was an altar, not like this, but I'm just using this as an example, and there was an altar. And, and based on your sin, you would bring a different kind of offering, and usually it was an a, a animal without blemish. And you would bring it from your own flock. Sometimes you could buy it, but you would bring it and you would offer it as a sign of repentance to God. They would come to a special building once a week to offer a gift to God, allowing God to know that they trust God in everything and that they know that God has given them everything. And so they give back a portion of what God has already given to them. Does that sound familiar? But what does Jesus say? If you have done something to another believer or anyone, really, to a brother or sister, which is anyone, 
Does he say, offer your gift, enjoy the worship music, enjoy the fellowship, enjoy potluck, and then after church, make sure you go and take care of it? What does Jesus say? Leave that gift that you're giving to me. Don't even offer it yet. Leave it before the altar. And go and reconcile with the person that you have hurt. I don't, what Jesus is saying is I don't want your gift, your worship, or your offering if you are out hurting, insulting, and gossiping about other people. Because to truly understand what Jesus is saying when you bring an offering and a gift to him, what, he really, what he's really trying to say, he presupposes that you understand that this gift is only meaningful if you are actually living your life outside of the church building the way God wants you to. Because this is easy. Coming to church on Saturday morning is easy. Wearing a suit and a tie and looking the way we're supposed to, is that easy? Yes. Showing our best face forward, that's easy. We do it all the time. We've gotten very good at it. But Jesus' word is, no. If you're out there hurting other people, it's as though you're murdering them. And if that's what you're doing, I don't want anything that's happening in, and happening in that building because you've missed the point. There's a superstition that has been going around for hundreds of years, I suspect. That coming to church resets the week that you had leading up to that Saturday. I've heard people say, when I don't go to church, life isn't the same. To which I tell them, what are you doing the other six days of the week? You see, for some people, coming to church on Sabbath, on Saturday morning, is all of the spirituality that they get. But for God and Jesus, he says, no, 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 no. You come on Sabbath because you are giving back what God has been doing for you all week long. You've been connecting. You're supposed to be connecting with God all day long. Church is not the place where you come and you gather more. It's the place where you empty all that God has given you and you give back. That's what worship is. Worship is not about music. Worship is not about the structure of the, of the format of the, of the church service. Worship is not about I want this and you want that and I don't like this music and I don't like that music. When we start having those discussions, we have, there is a fundamental failure to understand that worship isn't about what I want or what I like or my taste. Worship is about God. Worship is about what we do with our humble hearts as we come at this gathering place and we say, in unison, God, we will offer our hearts, our minds, and our souls together in unison. This is what we give back to you. And we do so through singing. We do so through prayer. We do so, do so through the reading of scriptures. We do so through, through giving God tithes and offering. Because what we're saying is, God, when we gather here every single Saturday morning, we are acknowledging that you are the creator of the universe, that you have given us this gift of life, and now we give back to you because you are our king. Jesus says to truly understand the scriptures, it must have a direct impact on how you treat other people and how you talk about other people. And so we quickly go on. Jesus says, first be reconciled to your brother and sister, then come and offer your gift. Is this making sense to you? I hope it's making you uncomfortable. 
I hope you're sitting here because I'm sitting here, I'm standing here thinking, who do I have to go reconcile with? Who have I hurt? And I'm sure we have. It's easy for us to see when other people have hurt us. But a follower of Jesus will ask the difficult questions of himself and herself and say, who have I hurt this week? And we're going we're gonna to come to a close with this final text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. And this is, these are the words of, of Jesus. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. A pigeon, you could come and buy a pigeon in the, te- in the temple, and you could offer it as a sacrifice. So you could buy your, you know, it seemed like you could buy it. That's what was happening. People were allowing you to buy your gift and then give it to God. And Jesus says, And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it into a den of robbers. And this is what I'll say about this. A den of robbers wasn't the place where robbers would just hang out and have something to eat. A den of robbers was when you would commit a crime, when you would rob somebody, then you would go somewhere to hide out so that you could feel safe until the heat went down, and then you could go on about your life and go wherever you were going to go. A den of robbers is where a thief would go to have safety and feel like, okay, now I'm safe, now I can leave. See, Jesus is not talking about selling things at church. For a long time, I remember going to a church where We couldn't sell food to fundraise because Jesus says you have made it into this. And that's not what he's talking about. Jesus says you have made my house into like like something that it's not. It's a house of prayer. It's where you come to empty yourself, to pray and lift up your heart to God. But what you've made it is like a hiding place for thieves. What you've made church is you come to church to have your heart massaged and soothed so that you can feel better because of the sins that you have committed the week before. And it's almost like a reset button where it's like, now I've come to church. This is what God wants from me. Now I am safe. When Jesus says you have made my house of prayer into a den of robbers, is that any time we, you or I, come to church so that we will be soothed, we have missed the point of what it means to worship God together. You have heard it said, do not murder. But Jesus says, do not be angry, insult, gossip, spread rumors, be hurtful to others, because you will be liable to the hell of fire. Instead, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled with anyone you may have hurt. Christianity is not easy. Christianity is not just about being a moral police pointing out what is wrong in the world. To really be a light, to be salt, to be a witness in this world, we must live our lives in a way that is not like the world. And this is what that means. It means that you, for, you ask for forgiveness and you seek reconciliation when you have been the one who hurts someone else. For Jesus, when he talks about the world, what he's saying is don't be selfish, don't be proud, don't be arrogant. He says instead take a humble stance and seek reconciliation. This morning, my challenge to you is simply that 
Remember the, the illustrations that we use, that every word you say, good or bad, is like a can of whipped cream. You can never take back what you say. So be careful that you speak to people with the full knowledge that they are made in the image of God. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the teaching this morning. Um, If we're honest with ourselves, God, we know that perhaps all of us should have left in the middle of the sermon to seek reconciliation with someone we've hurt. And it's too hard for us to just get up and do it. My prayer, Lord, now is that your spirit would dwell within us in in a mighty way this week that would allow us to seek reconciliation even when it's difficult so that when we come here next week, our hearts would be ready and filled with joy and ready to worship you because we're doing all that we can to live the way you have called us to live. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.